Money FM 89.3, best of breakfast. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. You're listening to Money FM 89.3 with Adrian Abraham and Lin Li Fu. Time now for Why It Matters. Adrian, when you were a student, which is not too long ago, how much attention did you pay to university rankings? And was it even a consideration before you applied to a university? You know, honestly, I was more focused on the course because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. specialized in sport journalism and I also mm. wanted to be close to a football club. That's yeah. why I went to Southampton. Of course, it is a discussion when we talk to our peers, our colleagues, everyone wants to know which university you went to, what sort of rankings. I don't pay much attention to it, so it doesn't yeah. really bother me. Yeah, for universities, though, it is serious business. Many universities have a ranking strategy and institutional research units that benchmark rankings performance. Yeah, every year, many universities around the world, especially the top ones, anxiously await the publication of each round of ranking tables. They see gaining status in one or more national or global ranking of universities as an important achievement which could lead to higher student enrollments. Now, the Straits Times reported recently that the National University of Singapore and the Nanyang Technological University have been rated the top universities in Asia based on the QS rankings by subject areas involving 1,594 universities in 93 countries and territories. Yeah, these are the Corcorelli uh, rankings. However, a number of prominent uh, universities have spoken out against such rankings, which uh, cannot measure the multifaceted goals of higher education. So do university rankings still matter for students in Singapore? Well, to share his expertise on this, we have on the line uh, Jason Tan, Associate Professor of Policy, Curriculum and Leadership at the National Institute of Education. Good morning. Good morning to both of you. Good morning, Prof. So what are the major factors that contribute to the international university rankings and what do the rankings really measure and assess? Well, it's important to realize that there are a couple of different companies that publish these university Mm -hmm. ranking tables. And they differ, of course, in what they measure and in the weightage that they accord various factors. But some of the more common factors you can find are, first of all, academic reputation of the university. Secondly, the quality of teaching. Thirdly, research quality. And fourthly, the degree of internationalization. Uh, In other words, how many international students there are, how many international faculty there are, how many international collaborations there are. One of the, I think, common criticisms of these rankings is that they are often, I think, misinterpreted. In other words, many people read into them more than and they are actually telling us. For mm-hmm. example, if we look at how these rankings try and measure the quality of teaching, you will find that the measures that they use as indicators are such things as the ratio of professors to students. Mm-hmm. That, that's just one example. And you can tell straight away that this sort of data doesn't really tell us anything about the quality of teaching, much less the quality of learning. In other words, what are students actually going through when they are taking their courses and programs, how actively engaged are they and how much do the professors care for their mm. learning and so on. Prof, according to the World Higher Education Database, there are more than 18,000 higher education institutions worldwide, yet only a small percentage make it on these international rankings. You know, apart from better numbers in terms of enrollment and to some extent higher quality students, what's in it for these universities to stay in the rankings game? Well, probably a key motivation is 
is that of establishing a presence on the global stage. And, and as we know, this is getting more and more important as the world gets smaller and smaller. Another reason is that the international student market is a very lucrative one. And many universities rely quite substantially on full fee paying foreign students in order to stay financially viable. Mm. So as you rightly pointed out, uh, the international student market is very lucrative. Estimates from market intelligence firms put the number at 6 million to 9 million international students. That's the number of those who will enroll in foreign higher education institutions with spending amounting to 433 billion US dollars by 2030. Now, to these international students and their parents, the thinking is that higher rankings translate to a better quality of education. That's not necessarily true, is it? Uh, Not at all. We have to remember that different universities have different missions. What do I mean by Mm. that? Well, for example, some universities are very research intensive. In other words, they place a great deal of emphasis on high quality research, while others for example, place much more emphasis on teaching. And um, some universities have as their core mission that of reaching out to adult learners, giving adults second chances to obtain a university degree. So I think it's very misguided Mm. to try and lump all of these differing universities with these sorts of diverse missions within Mm. one single ranking measure. Prof, critics have, you know, long pointed out several biases of such rankings, you know, institution size, bias towards the natural and life sciences, and bias also towards universities which publish in the English language. What do you make of these limitations? I think they are very real limitations. Mm. Um, Why do I say that? Because the very criteria that are used in many of these international ranking tables uh, tip the scales, shall Mm. we say, in favour of universities that that are research intensive. And that's why every year when the ranking tables are released, we see the same old internationally prestigious research universities top the tables. Of course, at the expense of universities that are not research intensive, And on the point of English language institutions being favoured, that has a lot to do with the methodology behind these ranking tables. In other words, very often these ranking tables use databases that collect publications that are almost totally, if not totally, in the English language. And and of course, we see that under this kind of a, a methodology, institutions that do not use English to teach will quite naturally be disadvantaged. Okay, just last year, Yale and Harvard announced that they would be withdrawing from the US News and World Report rankings for law schools in the country. And there are others that have criticised international ranking tables, saying that the methodologies are prone to flaws. So if these rankings cannot be taken as a yardstick to gauge the standard of the university, what should students and parents alike be considering when it comes to choosing a university? There are probably many factors that students and parents ought to consider Mm -hmm. when deciding what and where to study. Mm. One of them, obviously, is examination scores. Another one is, of course, affordability. Then there's also your own personal interests and passions, what appeals to you. There's also your family and personal circumstances to consider. For example, is it convenient for you to leave Singapore for a full-time degree program? Mm. And um, in the case of people who are full-time,
time in the workforce, they might want to consider a part-time degree mode instead of a full-time delivery mode so as not to forego their incomes. So it's probably true to say that different factors weigh on the minds of different individuals. And of course, the weightage accorded to each of these factors will also vary across individuals. I think it's interesting that the QS website in particular states quite clearly that its ranking tables are merely a starting point. Mm. They urge students to go further and conduct their own research, for example, by visiting university websites, attending open days, talking to students about their experiences. And the website states quite clearly that the rankings cannot make the choice for you and that only you can make the right decision for your own future. Prof, in your recent article published in the Straits Times, you mentioned that a prominent theme emerging in recent years in Singapore discourse is that of broadening the definition of success and moving away from a meritocracy of grades towards a meritocracy of skills. From that perspective, is the zero-sum game of global university rankings relevant at all in the current educational landscape of creating more pathways for students to realize their potential and, you know, go on to achieve success? Well, it's probably time for local universities to pay more attention to local priorities. Um, in addition to, I think, establishing their presence on the global stage, which a few of them have done quite admirably so far. I think every country has its own needs and priorities, and these publicly funded universities invariably have to try and address national priorities. Besides what you mentioned just now, moving towards a meritocracy of skills, there's also the encouragement of interdisciplinary learning, Mm. encouraging individuals to take charge of their own learning, getting students to define success in terms of their contribution to the wider society. I think if we look at these sorts of desired outcomes, it's quite clear that all of them are extremely difficult to quantify. And I guess my bigger point would be that it's not at all desirable to even try and rank these desired outcomes in the first place because that will, of course, create a whole new set of ranking-associated problems that we have already been witnessing. Prof, uh, we are running out of time, so just to wrap things up, there are suggestions that perhaps MOE should devise its own ranking tables for the autonomous universities based on criteria more attuned to the Singapore context. In what areas can a Singapore ranking table do better compared to the existing global rankings and what should we be prioritising in terms of measurements? Well, as I said earlier, I think it's extremely difficult to quantify a lot of these Mm. um, outcomes. I think that's my basic problem with a lot of these quantitative ranking tables. The fact that they try and reduce rather complex processes related to learning to single-digit scores or double-digit scores. So that's my basic objection. I think it would be very difficult, really, Mm. to try and achieve any kind of um, meaningful ranking. Well, we've been speaking to Jason Tan, Associate Professor of Policy Curriculum and Leadership at the National Institute of Education, all about university rankings and whether they still matter for students in Singapore. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Prof. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.